Welcome to Make and Decorate, a podcast for makers who love to sew, quilt, and decorate. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the Make and Decorate podcast. This is episode 47, originally published on April 2nd, 2020. So this episode is with your host, me, Stephanie, and we're going to talk about a myriad of topics, sewing, quilting, uh, a little bit of home decor, and of course, food. So uh, before I get started, uh, I just want to thank everyone for the birthday wishes last week and also for the get well uh wishes. Um, Some of you on Instagram sent me messages and uh, that really brightened my day. Uh, I was uh, really ill uh, since the 20th. Starting this week, I started to feel much better. Um, I had a virus and I'm pretty sure it was the virus, but fortunately it was not um, severe. So I'm I'm just really glad to be here. Um, and, uh, so I just, um, if anyone else is out there and you're listening and you, um, are at home sick, uh, I just, uh, want you to know, I'll give you a couple of tips, um, because I, you think you feel better than you are when you're laying in bed, but the second that you move your body around and do any little tiny bit of cardio movement, it's you're going to go right back to bed or you have to because it just this respiratory virus really makes you weak so make sure you stay in bed you've really got to stay in bed for pretty much a week if not a little bit more but definitely for the first week and a lots of fluids and a lot of sleep Um, So I did not listen to my body or the advice, and I kept trying to get up and sew. Uh, But um, then when I started to feel really bad, I knew I had to go back, go back to bed. And and finally, midweek, I succumbed and I just stayed in bed for the next, you know, three, four, five days. All right. So moving on, uh, I did, though, when I when I did take some time to sew, I was making masks and um, I you you probably a lot of you have also made masks and are still making masks. And there are so many different patterns and tutorials uh, out there on YouTube. And um, I used the first tutorial from Red Poppy. I think she's called Red Poppy Quilts. But um, since the first episode, her first tutorial, then she um, uploaded two more. So there's a couple of other different styles of masks that uh, she put out there. And um, the last one that she put up was like one of the better, um, I think, filtering more protective kind of mask. Uh, but anyway, there was also, I, I saw um, some controversy on uh, sewing the masks and if that was, you know, the right thing to do. Uh, and um, I'll weigh in on that just on my own opinion. I think it is the right thing to do. 
I don't think that you should just make a bunch and send them out willy-nilly, um, especially these masks that we're making that are not N95 grade quality really should go to um, non-hospitals first um, so that, for instance, um, veterinarian offices are giving out, oh, giving their N95 masks to the hospitals and the personnel who need it the most. And then um, a lot of other people are making masks to give to to these places like veterinarian uh, offices and uh, other places. I made masks for my husband's company. Uh, He's in the food business and he's got um, truck drivers that are delivering um, to local grocery stores all over the place, and they were unprotected. Of course, this is not 100% protection, but I, I believe it's better than no protection at all. So um, anyway, uh, so yeah, that's uh, that's my opinion. Uh, so don't don't think that it's a waste of time. Oh, and in fact, the governor of my state uh, recognized there was. Um, a few people in Southern Illinois, and they were making masks. This one woman had a business, and she made other types of products. And since this quarantine happened, um, our state of Illinois quarantined us pretty early. Um, I think it was started on like the 20th was the mandate. And uh, so she dropped everything and stopped making her main product and started making masks and um, a lot of masks and uh, for free. And I think all of us are making masks for free and donating them. So um, I was really happy to read that article. Um, And she wasn't the only one. There were a few other people uh, that were recognized. But it was really nice to see that the governor um, publicly recognized uh, uh, people in our sewing industry uh, doing good, <clears throat> putting our talents to good use. So just before I get off this mask topic, there's a few things that I think are best practices. And um, the first thing is just to make sure you communicate with whoever you're making these for and find out their required specifications. Uh, There's many different kinds of masks, and they're made with different types of fabrics and materials. Some of them have the pouch to add the filter fabric. Some of them don't. Some of them are two-ply. Some of them are four-ply cotton. Uh, There's elastic, and there's ties. Uh, There is a short of of elastic now, um, so people are starting to make the masks with the ties. Um, but, uh, there's a YouTube video. I will put a link to this in, on my podcast page and, uh, the YouTube channel is called Bernadette Banner. I have been a subscriber of her channel for, oh, maybe almost a year now. She lives in New York and she has a very interesting channel. She's a, more of like a seamstress sewist and she's very into, uh, vintage, Um, styles and just that kind of old-fashioned way of life. Uh, So she has this beautiful sewing machine. It's a singer, but it's it's the hand crank one where you like turn the big wheel 
on the right side of the machine to make it stitch. And she did a video of her making masks for um, her uh, veterinarian office. And she made it on that machine. She cut all the pieces out with scissors. Uh, so, but she, it was, it's just really, a, she, she does beautiful filmmaking. And um, uh, I just, I enjoyed watching it. And she had some very good tips. And she also recommended that you um, make sure you communicate with um, whoever you are making these masks for. And she asked them, do you want more quantity with just two ply cotton? Or do you want less quantity but four ply cotton? And they responded and they wanted less amount of masks with the four ply. So uh, I thought that was great. Um, so you can give that a watch and there's a bunch more out there. So um, thanks everyone for making masks. I think that our community is just so giving and generous and uh, um, you know, it, it just it brings a little bit of sunshine to this really dark, dark time. Okay, so with all of us in quarantine now, um, there has been a change in just how how we are eating and uh, food availability. So um, that's one of the things that... Uh, has definitely been an adjustment for me because uh, I I like to cook, I do, uh, but I don't like to do it every single meal. And now we are relegated pretty much to, to cook um, and prepare food at home. Uh, so it, it actually is a ton of work. <laughs> So if you don't have help, you know, we don't have, you know, the, the kid helpers that could help us. Uh, so it's just me and my husband. And uh, really, it's just me making these meals now, although he did help out when I was down um, and sick. But uh, yeah, it's it's definitely challenging to make meals every day, all of the meals. Um, I do try to make some meals that will have leftovers, so it does give me a break from cooking the next day. But uh, I've been trying some different recipes and looking for um, good, uh, you know, healthy, nutritious meals, um, but uh, some ones that just don't take forever. I mean, now's not the time to do the Julia Child Coke oven recipe that takes like four to six hours to make. <laughs> so I'm going to give you a couple of things that I have been seeing. One of them is uh, to follow Ina Garten on Instagram. Ina Garten has been on the Food Network for many, many years, and she has been a favorite of mine um, ever since she appeared as a guest on the Martha Stewart show back in the late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, I love her style of cooking. It is very gourmet, but with a very simple uh, technique and uh, not overwhelming. I have all of her cookbooks and I actually met her in person. I can remember this. It's so funny you, how you can remember some details of certain things that happen in life. And this was in 2006. 
Um, I was working downtown just a mere few blocks from this Crate and Barrel who was having her do a book signing. So thankfully for my husband, otherwise I pro- this probably I would not have gotten it signed. He told me, you have got to get there like early, like two hours early. And I did. And I was probably like 20 people back in line. And uh, by the time they started the book signing, which is about two hours later, that line went all the way through the store, all the way downstairs, tons and tons of people. So I was so thankful that my husband gave me that advice and that I did it. And um, yes, I did wait a while, but we waited inside. We did not have to wait outside and, you know, get to chit chat with people that like to cook and love Ina Garten as much as I do. And when I got up there to, and she signed the book, she was so nice, personable, and all the people that you see on her shows were there, her friends. Uh, and I just, it's a very memorable book signing because it was one of the most pleasant experiences I have had with getting something signed. Uh, I've had some experiences that were really not very good. And um, I always just don't feel great about asking people to sign their things. But this was an actual event. And that's what they were there to do. However, I'll tell you one other story. Um, We, my husband and I used to golf all the time, like 15 years ago. That was... That was our thing. That was before I was really very heavily heavy into to sewing and quilting. So um, if you golf, it takes up a lot of time. Like a round of golf minimum will take four hours. But usually, especially on weekends, you're out there for like at least six hours. And um, so we would go to the lo- when when the golf tournaments would come here locally, there was one called the Western Open and uh when we back in the the day, that was like Tiger Woods, like heyday. He was young and he was at the top of his game. And uh, <laughs> my husband's um, vendor had a very good location. We got tickets. It was so posh. <laughs> it was so great. It was so lucky. And um, I got to see Tiger Woods' parents up close. And we we couldn't get his tiger's signature, but my husband went up to his father and got his signature on this Cog Hill golf flag. And I just couldn't believe it. I was like, no, no, do not bother them. He's like, oh, you know, what they're gonna do? They could say no. So uh yeah, that was it was pretty interesting. So anyway, um All right, I digressed, but here we go, bringing it back. All right, back to food. Another YouTube channel I discovered and I love and I subscribe to is called Sam the Cooking Guy. And this guy, Sam, um, he works in restaurants. I don't know. I don't know if he's an owner. It seems like he is. I'm not quite sure. I've only seen a few episodes, but he is cooking in an empty restaurant and uh, the restaurant uh, food that um, he said that they made were like mini tacos or something like that. Uh, but uh, so anyway, he is doing this series of quarantine munchies. 
And every episode focuses on a different type of food. So I saw an episode of um, eggs and he made all these different things and I got really good ideas. One of them was, you know that um, everybody knows about this where you, uh, I think it's called um, egg in a nest or something like that. But it's where you uh, make a, a, a cut out a big circle in the slice of bread, and then you crack the egg and fill and drop it into that hole that you just made in the bread, and and you um, you fry that up in the frying pan, and then when you like you know then the yolk just strips all over the bread, and it's just all this kinds of yumminess. Well, he did it with a waffle. <laughs> Why didn't I ever think of that before? So I, the very next day, did that because we had some. I cheated. We had Eggo waffles on hand. So I took my Eggo waffles out and I did the little holes in them with my biscuit cutter. And it was so delicious. It was really cool. Uh, So he had a bunch of other cool recipes. And these are like recipes that everyday people are making in their homes. Uh, it's not, you know, the super like hoity-toity with all the herbs and and hard to get ingredients. So this is he he was doing recipes. He did this one with spam. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't have spam, and I don't think I'm planning to get it. But he did say some alternates that you could use um, in place of that. Um, like you could actually use regular ham or hot dogs. Uh, he did an episode on pasta. Uh, there's an episode with potatoes, so you should check it out. It's it's really a fun series, and you can really get some fresh ideas of what to make while you're quarantined at home with the ingredients that you probably have sitting around. All right, and then I want to tell you about my local tea shop. Uh, it's called the Rare Tea Cellar, C-E-L-L-A-R, and they... Um, they sell online, so you could order from them, and they will ship the this tea to you. Uh, it is um, they have like my favorite tea, which is a rose lychee noir, and it's a black tea, and it has like rose petals in it, and it's got this lychee um, fruit flavor <clears throat> infused in it. But it's a very fine tea shop. It's got like the real high quality loose leaf tea leaves. Some of their teas are uber, uber duper, super duper expensive. Of course, I don't, I can't do those. But, you know, the they've got also some more affordable ones. And um, I I love the, the lychee noir one, they have a regular lychee noir and then um, the rose. And I really, I love them both. Um, but the rose is really good too. And it's not that expensive. Um, and uh, herbal tea, they have this really good, um, it's like a berry uh, meritage, they call it. And it has, it's made with um, two types of currant berries. There's hibiscus in there and other things, and it is just delicious. So anyway, I'm telling you all of this because, well, I drink a lot of tea. And especially when I was sick last week, that is one of the things that I was drinking the most, um, just making hot tea 
pot after hot teapot. So um, I I had to replenish <laughs> my tea supply. But uh, now with this quarantine, they are doing these specials where they're they're doing 30% off sales on different types of tea every couple days. So they've They've already done the herbal tea, so I got my berry maritage for 30% off. Now, today, well, I'm recording this on Tuesday, so I think the sale's going to be... They, it's only for two days long that they do this, but um, and this podcast is going up on Thursday. But you could still check back, because maybe they'll have a sale on green tea next. Uh, but uh, yeah, so today and tomorrow is a sale on the black tea, so... Um, I'm probably going to get more of that rose lychee noir. Um, I'll put a link to that because you might want to check it out. It's really, really good, delicious tea. It's not something that, I mean, it's definitely a lot more than your regular grocery store brand. And you may not want it for an everyday thing, but it is really, um, it's really nice if you just, you know, want it for, um, you know, here and there, but I, I kind of like do use it sort of like every day <laughs> uh, right now. Um, but I, you know what? I have a huge collection. I, I, I am not a snob of tea. So I also have, um, I like the black cherry celestial seasonings, herbal tea. Uh, I like the twinings. Um, is it the twining? It's one of the, I always get them confused. Uh, but the Earl Grey. So I have got like a huge variety of teas in my collection. Um, but yeah, this this particular uh, lychee and herbal tea from the Rare Tea Cellar Shop is is really very, very good. And the, the Berry Meritage tea is highly full of vitamin C and antioxidants, and it helps support your immune system. So there's that extra little benefit there. Okay. Um, oh, my gosh. I was afraid I didn't have enough to talk about, but I'm going to have to probably edit this down because I'm just rambling. Um, But you know what? If you guys are sewing and you're doing some quilting and you have me on in the background, then, you know, that's fine. Like, it's going to be a long one, but uh, just just listen while you're doing other things. Um, So... When I got the email from uh, uh, the rare tea seller today, and they list they had the thirty percent off the <clears throat> the black tea varieties, they had a photograph of a tea set next to one of their teas, and it was my tea set. <laughs> I'm gonna put a picture on my podcast page, but I was like, "Oh, that's my tea set!" And this tea set was given to me, and. It is my favorite um, because, of course, blue, I love blue and white, and it's one of my favorite color combinations. Also, um, this tea set is called um, Russian Blue Lomonosov. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that last word correctly, but um, there it is made in Russia, and they the pattern of this tea set is called cobalt net pattern. It's kind of like this harlequin uh, diamondy uh, pattern that is hand painted with the cobalt 
um, real mineral blue cobalt, and then they accent it on top of that with 22 karat gold. So you can imagine that it is a little bit pricey. So I, I was very thankful that um, I was given that um, as a gift, and I just absolutely love it. And uh, it is uh, porcelain, china, um, all hand-painted and pretty delicate. So I still kind of use it whenever I want to, um, but uh, it's not an everyday thing because the teacups, the they're very thin, um, but they're just, it's just so beautiful and it's just so much fun to use it. Um, so, but I'm going to do a little reading for you because I think the story of this uh, China is interesting and um, I've kind of uh, learned a lot more about different types of china and collectible pottery. So this is one um, collection that is uh, collectible, and it you you'll see it sold on Etsy, eBay, um, and here is the story: the Lomonosov. Imperial Porcelain Factory was founded in St. Petersburg in 1744 under the decree of Peter the Great's daughter, Empress Elizabeth. It was the first porcelain company in Russia and the third in all of Europe. With the abolition of the Russian monarchy in 1917, the factory was renamed the State Porcelain Factory. During the early years of the Soviet Union, it made propaganda wares. In 1925, it was named after the founder of the Russian Academy of Science, Mikhail Lomonosov. The factory's best-known pattern, cobalt net, first appeared in 1949. It is based on a blue net pattern, hand-painted and cast into the porcelain dinnerware pieces of Catherine the Great, using actual examples of her collection, which the factory has. The pattern is a combination of intersecting lines of cobalt blue made from mineral cobalt with inverted teardrops and 22 karat gold accents. In 1993, the factory was privatized as the Lomonosov Porcelain Factory and began to export wares to the U.S., among other countries. So that's, a, that's kind of like a condensed story of this uh, China Porcelain Company. And there's another thing, too, just, just so you're aware, and in case you start looking for these, um, there are a lot of counterfeit and fake versions out there. So I have a link to a website that um, educates all about this and they have photographs of which is the counterfeit one and which is the real deal and is it genuine cobalt or not. Uh, so take a look at that. I read all of it and um, it's good to know about because eBay especially is rampant with all of these fake versions. And you just have to also just be aware of how they word it. Um, so when they say that it's 
Lomonosov inspired or Lomonosov designs, then that's a red flag that it's not the real thing. Okay, so that is the end of the food topic. I'm going to move on to entertainment. So uh, I definitely did watch a lot of TV. Um, I, I definitely got TV'd out quickly. Uh, so then I started to watch online classes on the TV uh, through my Apple TV. There's a 30-day free trial on the, um, it's called Great Courses Plus, and it is available on the Apple TV and Roku. So you don't have to airplay it to your TVs. You can actually go to their app store on either device, if you have a Roku or if you have an Apple TV, Great Courses Plus, and you will sign up uh, for the free 30 days. I think you do have to give a credit card, but whenever I do stuff like that, I always put a reminder in my phone to remind me a couple of days uh, before they will um, renew and charge the credit card that I will have to cancel. <laughs> so, um, and this one I'm definitely going to cancel. Sometimes I end up going with it, but this one I'm not. But I am having a great time, and I think 30 days worth of this is a great, a great uh, way to get to know this platform and uh, has different type of classes. So it's a different platform than, let's say, like a Skillshare or um, Blueprint uh, or Lynda.com. This Great, great Courses Plus uh, has a lot of educational courses taught by professors of universities and also um, uh, instructors, professors at the Culinary Institute of America. There are the food classes, and I watched some of those. Um, in fact, there is one, and that is where I got a new recipe that I absolutely love, and it is so fast to make. And it is so healthy and delicious and comfort food-like. It is called avgolemino soup. And it's um, what is known as Greek lemon soup, Greek lemon chicken soup. It is so quick to make, though. Um, if you don't make your own... Um, or if you have your own chicken stock, let's say on hand, you make a big batch and you freeze it and you have them on hand, this is a good use of that. Or uh, you could do what I just did and I used a couple of boxes of chicken stock and I just roasted some chicken breast in the oven um, and made rice in uh, the Instant Pot or a rice cooker. Once you have those components made, the chicken and the rice, this soup make, takes 10 minutes to make. It is amazing, but and there's only five ingredients. It's chicken, rice, chicken stock, eggs, and lemon juice. That's it. And it is some of the most, it was like the most delicious soup you will have had in a while. Uh, so yeah, I'm really excited about that soup. I really, really love it. Uh, okay, other classes on Great Courses Plus, uh, as I was doing other things, I was up in my sewing room. I had on, they have these tours of countries. So I, I was watching the tour of the UK. 
I found that really interesting. I just love learning about, you know, geography was one of my favorite subjects in school and history was as well. And uh, I love learning about um, other places in the world. So this one really gave me um, a deeper look into the different regions of the UK and what they're known for. And uh, they would highlight places for you to visit that are not like the regular touristy places. You know, like when it, people go to the UK, they want to go see the changing of the guard, the tower, you know, the this or that. Well, if you travel up either by train or whatever, more into the, the mid or the north um, uh, of the UK, there are some really nice um, places to visit. Uh, and I just think it's beautiful. The UK, when you get further up north, has just those rolling hills and immediately like reminds me of all of those masterpiece classics, uh, um, TV series and British movies. And it's so romantic. So yeah, I liked that one. And I just started watching the tour of France. Uh, so, oh my gosh, can you tell I watched a lot of that one? I'm getting my 30 days worth um, of this free trial, definitely. Then I started watching container gardening because I do container gardening. Uh, we have a pretty large deck and every year I do um, container gardening. So I'm just going to tell you one thing about this. It's a really good course. I haven't even finished it all, but uh that she said that you should not put rocks at the bottom of the pot. A lot, a lot of people will put a bunch of rocks at the bottom and think that that's going to help the drainage of the soil. And she says it doesn't. It actually makes it worse and um, holds the moisture in and can mildew the plant and so forth. And I've had experience with that happening. And Guess who I learned that you should put rocks on the bottom of the pots from? Martha Stewart. Hello, bad Martha Stewart. That's not, that was terrible information. You're not supposed to do that. <laughs> so I'm passing that tip on to you guys. Um, <clears throat> okay, uh, one other thing I found on Great Courses Plus, they had a few blueprint classes on there, which I thought was weird. I don't know what relationship Great Courses Plus has with Blueprint, but there are some Blueprint courses on there. And there's only about five quilting classes on Great Courses Plus, and they're Blueprint classes. But I watched, um, I watched a couple of them, and I learned a lot. So the instructor is Debbie Caffrey, and you can watch these on Blueprint. So if you're in the middle of a Blueprint free trial, take a look at those, but um, there's a class uh, where she talks about um, uh, all things quilters should know, and strip piecing ideas, smart, no waste cutting. So um, I found this very interesting, and uh, she's definitely from the school of traditional quilting, uh, but there is such a great technique and stuff that I didn't really know because although I started off quilting um, 
taking like a traditional uh, quilting 101 class. Um, we just did like a nine patch and then we did a star uh, design um, quilt tops. And then I sort of kind of hopped on over to modern quilting and um, I just, I never really knew what to do with, you know, those strips, those two and a half inch strips. Um, Moda calls them jelly rolls and, you know, other companies, I don't know what they call them, but those two, two and a half inch strips. Well, I got a ton of ideas on what to do with those from this class. And um, I learned about the ruler, the rulers, the triangle rulers. I don't know about you guys, but those rulers can be so confusing because there, there are equilateral triangles, there are flying geese triangles. Flying geese is probably one of the more popular ones that a lot of people do. And there are the um, oh, right angle triangles, uh, which are quarter square triangles. That's what I was trying to think of. So, um, and there's like a million different rulers for those and they're hard to like distinguish and so forth. So what I learned is if you see a triangle ruler and it only has the horizontal lines across the triangle, that is for quarter square triangles. And you use those measuring lines to make those types of triangles. If you see a triangle ruler and it's got more of a grid, um, measurements and guides on there, then those are for the, uh, like the flying geese type of triangles or half square. Flying geese are half square triangles. So um, that was an eye opener for me. And then the way that you measure with these rulers. So um, I never knew this, but OmniGrid they're uh, right angle ruler, half square triangle rulers, and they're quarter square ruler triangles. Triangle rulers, they are marked with finished sizes. Um, most of all of the other lines, brands of rulers out there are marked with the cut size um, on the, them. So... On an OmniGrid, if you cut on the two-inch line mark, then that cut is not going to be a two-inch triangle. It's going to include the quarter-inch seam allowance. So it's really going to be more like a, what is it, two-and-a-half-inch uh, triangle. So the so on another ruler, you would line that up at the two and a half inch mark, not the two inch mark. It's confusing. See, see how confusing that is. But now I know OmniGrid does it this way, where they mark the rulers with the finished size and uh, the rest of the rulers mark it with the cut size. So I don't know if you guys already knew that. Probably you did, but I did not. So I was so excited to learn this stuff. I mean, she, this instructor, Debbie Caffrey, is, she's a quilt designer. She's been doing this for so many years, and she has a lot of classes on Blueprint. Um, she, she has put together all of these charts of, 
you know, if you're cutting this size and this is the size of fabric strip you need, it's just really cool. It's amazing. And um, I was just blown away. Blown away. I learned so much. Okay. Um, more entertainment. Um, oh, uh, I just got an audiobook from Chirp, C-H-I-R-P. Don't know if you're familiar with Chirp books, but it's like similar to, um, oh, what's that real popular one? It's similar to Audible, uh, but different. And I like it. Uh, you you purchase audiobooks from them like Audible, but it's not a subscription base. You just go there, you look for what you want. They um, rotate sales that are up to 95% off. And um, I got the Quilter's Apprentice book by Jennifer Chavarini. And right now it's on sale for $3.99, normally about $17 for the audiobook. And this book is currently the um, book that Sarah Lawson's book club is reading. And on, I think she said on April 12th or 16th, I can't remember. Sometime in mid-April, her Sunday social YouTube show is going to do the book club review of that book. So um, I was really excited that I found that that book for a really um, really low price because um, sometimes like the library lending digital books, you have to go on these waiting lists and, um, you know, you only have a limited amount of time to have them checked out. And uh, it's just, you know, I like it. I use it. But I also if if I find something that's a little bit more reasonable that I can just have forever, I like that, too. Uh, so that's from Chirp Books. So last week on my podcast page, I put a list of things, new things that I've been watching on either Netflix or um, Hulu, YouTube, and um, there is one I did not put on there. And now that it has become like everywhere, it, I, I hear about this everywhere, everywhere, and I can't believe it because... Um, I would not have watched the show. It's on Netflix. And my husband was like, you have got to watch this series. It is crazy. And so it's called The Tiger King. Warning. All right. It is not for kids at all. And it literally isn't for adults either. I mean, I, I'm literally shocked that I watched the series, but it's one of those train wreck type of things. And I kept saying like, after like the second episode, I was like, this is such trash. I cannot watch any more of this. But then I went back to it. First of all, because I was, you know, in bed with nothing else to lot to do. <laughs> And um, I looked at the titles and descriptions of the other episodes. So it had a progression to where, um, you know, like people were going to be convicted and go to jail. So I wanted to see that. I wanted to, you know, see this justice for, I mean, this, this, there is a whole group of people in, in the United States that own these exotic animals and 
um, especially in this show, it was tigers and cats, uh, exotic cats, tigers, lions, uh, bobcats, mountain lion cats. I mean, it's just like appalling. It is appalling. It's sad. And uh, so I was really shocked when I actually heard that it was like a main news story on Good Morning America. And it's so popular. Um, But uh, yeah, so the only thing I could say positive that could come from this is that, um, first of all, they reopened up this, you know, cold case murder um, case in Florida. And um, secondly, uh, like groups like the Humane Society and PETA are all over this. And um, I think it's bringing um, some some recognition to what's going on. And hopefully, um, we can completely stop the ownership of these these exotic animals that no one should own and no one should have in a cage. That's, that's my opinion. All right. Um, so end of that topic, <laughs> let's talk about sewing and quilting. And uh, you're probably wondering like, when is she ever going to talk about quilting and sewing? Well, here we go. Uh, all right. Uh, I finished the Sewing in the Rain foundation paper piece pattern. Turned out really well. It's so cute. I learned a couple of things about it that I'm going to pass on to you because I talk about doing foundation paper piecing with the freezer paper method. I love to do that so much because you don't have to stitch through the paper. However, the Singing in the Rain pattern has a lot of tiny, tiny pieces. And I found that it was just near impossible to do the uh, the um, the freezer paper method with that. So I had to switch to just the normal stitching onto the paper. It's not that huge of a finished piece anyway. So the tearing of the papers out at the end is not is not that big of a deal. So, um, but definitely stitching through the paper on patterns that have tiny pieces is the way to go. Um, and uh, I've, I'm still making masks. Um, I have uh, my cousin, my aunt, uh, her mother is my aunt, and she asked me if I could make masks. Uh, my cousin is disabled, and she lives in a group home. Um, it's where, like, they can live in de- sort of independently, um, but they still have some, you know, assisted, I guess, living sort of there, uh, which is really nice. So they are in need. This group home is in need of of masks. So I'm going to start sewing some of those for them. And um, other projects that I have on deck, I've got some commission jobs that I have to uh, work on. And uh, I still need to make that second pair of the baby knit pants that the one where I told you guys I got um, the fabric for that I originally had um, messed up on. So um, I've got to make that and I still have to make the baby bonnets for my baby niece. And oh my gosh, um, so she was born a little premature and was only about five, 
five and a half pounds when she came home from the hospital. And now I think she's like eight, eight pounds or more, but she's growing really nicely. She's a beautiful baby. Uh, I have not seen her in person yet, but thank goodness for like um, technology to where you can, you know, my sister takes a lot of pictures of her and uh, my other sister, I can FaceTime with her and her kids. So, um, but man, this baby is growing. So I'm not even going to make the newborn one anymore. <laughs> I'm going to make the three month size and probably um, a 12 month size that she can grow into. Uh, wedding quilt I have to make. And uh, I started to redo a list for me that I really want to um, kind of have, you know, continue to make. I started a king quilt for me, and that was also a foundation paper piece pattern. And it just got kind of chucked into the back of the uh, project line. So I'm going to pull that back out and um, see how I can work that in. Because if I don't work things in um, to, uh, I don't know, it's not a schedule, but work them into my, you know, what's on deck projects, you know, to work on, then it's never going to get done. It's just going to sit and I had it in the back of a closet on a closet shelf. So I'm going to pull that out and um, uh, work on it whenever I can. Um, and then a second pair of pajamas. In December, I made um, a pair of the Molly pajamas by five out of four patterns. It's a great pattern and um, I've got the fabric to make a second pair. So I need to make those sometime soon. Um, okay. And then I want to talk about um, uh, another hobby that I picked up while I was sick. Yes, I know. I started uh, I started something else and it is knitting, but I'm not going to get like super heavy into knitting, I don't think. Um, it's just that uh, I keep seeing everybody making these knit dishcloths everywhere. And I saw a um, video pop up in YouTube and I really liked it. And uh, I decided that that was something that I could uh, work on while I was in bed. And so I'm going to put a link to this YouTube channel in on the podcast page. It is called Bonnie Bay Crochet. So this person's channel is really more, it's, it's focuses on crochet, but she did do a knitting video on knitting dishcloths. And what is unique about it is that she uses circular knitting needles to make a dishcloth and she explained why. And so I ordered the circular uh, knitting needles and um, completely understand like what she was saying, because the larger knitting needles, if you are more used to crochet, which I am, the larger knitting needles are a little bit harder to get used to. Whereas these, um, Circular knitting needles are shorter. They're almost the size of a crochet hook and they fit in your hands more comfortably. Uh, so uh, that's what I got. And um, I'm about 
halfway, maybe two thirds done with one. <laughs> now, remember, I don't knit, so I have no idea what I'm doing. And I just learned this off of her tutorial. I watched a couple of other people's tutorials as well, but I kept going back to hers and um, until I got it, until I got the, the stitches down. Um, the first half of the dishcloth is where you increase your stitches or loops. Um, and I finally got that. You know, I must have restarted that uh, 20 times, literally, uh, where I could not get past the first two to three rows. Uh, so finally, when I got that stitch down, um, I was able to progress. And then when it was time to do the decrease stitches then that was a whole nother story. So I'm con I am currently working on that part of it, but that's when the dishcloth started to go wonky <laughs> because uh, I would forget to do the decrease on some rows and um, I would not get both of the loops completely done. I mean, it's, it's definitely like a funny looking dishcloth, but hey, it will still be usable. And I, I thought about ripping it out and starting over, but I, I just didn't, I couldn't. It, the, the place where I'm at now is like many hours of work. And I know it's a learning piece for me, practice piece, and I'm okay with it. You know, it's way, way, way far from perfect, but uh, I'm learning. So um, it's interesting. I like it. Um, oh, and if any of you knitters out there have tips for the decrease stitches, let me know. Because what I'm having a problem with is um, this particular pattern is the one where it's got the little border around the whole edge of the dishcloth. Um, and then there's like that little hole um, that makes the border. Uh that's done by decreasing um, two loops. Well, well, all right, here's the thing. I don't know, I'm going into too much detail, I know, but you know what? Fast forward me if you have to. Okay, so the decrease goes, you, you stitch a, one stitch, then you put your needle through two stitches, two loops, and uh, make a stitch off of that. Then you do an increase wrap and then put your needle through another two loops. That's the part. The first one's hard, but I can usually get it. The second one uh, with that increase and the two loops is so hard. I have to try several times before I can get that stitch completed. I, I think the tension is probably too tight, but anyway, any tips, I'm open, let me know. Okay, so um, I've got a couple of products to tell you about. Um, and um, so one of these is um, a birthday gift that I got from my parents. Um, it was on my Amazon wish list. But so as I have been getting into um, watercolor painting and card making, uh, I saw this Tim Holtz glass media mat. Um, and it is made, so it's black. It sort of looks like the tulip pink cutting mat, but this is made out of glass. It's tempered glass. And it's um, it's got the grid on there, just like you would see on a quilting rotary mat. And you can cut on it with rotary cutters. 
Uh, so I just found that pretty fascinating, and it's mainly used for um, mixed media projects. And the glass allows you to put any type of wet media on there um, that you can that you need, and it's right next to what you're working on. It makes it so convenient. Um, I haven't used it yet, just because you know I I've been sick, but. Um, I can't wait to use it. Here's the thing, though. I didn't realize this, but it's heavy. It's like six pounds, but I mean, that's heavy. It's not, I didn't really think about like where I was going to put this. And it sort of needs to be put in a place that it stays. Like it's not meant to be moved every time you want to use it. So I have to figure that out. I'm not quite sure where it's going to go, but I do want to use it. And um, since you can rotary cut on there, I could cut like, you know, quilt quilt pieces on there if I wanted to. Um, but there's another part of this media cutting mat. So the, the first part of it is all like the cutting part, the, the cutting mat. Then there's like the second part and they have a right-handed version and a left-handed version. And on the right side of it, there is this, um, like, a pad. And there's, like, a removable sort of like a silicone sheet. And um, there's another large grid um, on there, the glass part, where you can, you know, put, like, your your stamp dyes and inks onto um, and, and put like a whole palette of colors. Uh, it's just, there's a lot of options that you could do. I mean, people will do um, like this, uh, what is it called? It's like what the, they scrape off like this putty knife stuff. It's, it's like a plaster um, that they'll scrape onto stencils and it'll make this raised design. Um, on the paper. But I even thought that um, you could put some paint on those palettes and even uh, paint onto fabric pieces if you wanted to make like custom pieces of fabric. So um, that's just kind of like a new toy that I got as a gift. Um, and another thing that I got, which I found to be very useful and I am glad that I got it is a I've been wanting to get around one for a while I I have I have a small 12 inch size and then a bigger I think it's a 14 inch square um, the omni grid rotating square mats and um, I use those a lot too uh, but I have been wanting the round one and um the Martelli one, of course, is like, you know, probably the best, uh, but it's it's got a really heavy base and it's expensive. Uh, so um, I am on the Missouri Star email list and they just had this last week uh, on one of their daily deals and it was like 40% off and I got it and I love it. It is... It reminds me of those cake decorating turntable-y things because it's kind of on those little ball bearing rollers and it turns so easily and, and it's pink 
it's pretty. I like pink. So if you don't like pink, you won't like this, but I like pink. And I used it for um, finishing the sitting in the um, sitting, singing in the rain foundation paper piece pattern. And I am going to use it for all of the blocks of the Allison Glass Juicy Juice um, so along, which I have to catch up on. But I really recommend this mat. And it's 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 not as expensive as the Omnigrids. Um, and it's w way less expensive than the Martelli one. And I find it really useful if you do that kind of quilting and sewing. You can also square up blocks on there too, um, up to a certain size. Uh, but um, you can find it at Missouri Star. And I also saw it on Amazon. And I'll put uh, the link on the podcast page of the Sue Daily Rotating Mat. Uh, one other thing I got that was new, also a birthday gift, and it's not like sewing or decorating related, but, you know, you might be interested. I don't know. But um, I got a new flat iron and it is so amazing. And if you have naturally curly hair like I do and it's long right now, uh, this is the flat iron for you and... Uh, I'm not even sponsored by this at all. It's something that my hairstylist told me about um, a month ago and she used it on me and it was so good. And my current flat iron is at least 10 years old. So uh, it was time for a new one. And I put on my birthday list and got it. It is expensive. Warning, it is very expensive, but if it's something that you will use on a daily basis and you use these things, like I use blow dryers and flat irons pretty much until they die or get too old. And so that means at least 10 years or more. So um, invest in a quality um, appliance and you will not regret it. So this one is an inch and a half uh, near, it's called um, the Paul Mitchell Neuro, N-E-U-R-O, Smooth Plus. The plus means that it's wider. It's an inch and a half. So it's good for people that have coarse, thick, or long hair, which is all me. And um, the special thing about this flat iron that makes it um, outstanding are the titanium plates are built into it. They don't sit very much above the surface, just a little bit. And uh, they are titanium placed with this ion technology. The other thing that I really, really love about it is the beveled edge so that I can get really close to the root line because my hair starts to have these weird like kinks and wrinkles or, you know, in it. Um, close to my head and my other flat iron could never reach it because it just wouldn't go that close to the scalp. This one gets right on in there. I mean, and also the hairs like um, on your face line by your ears, you can really get those little baby hairs too without killing yourself, without burning yourself. You still have to be careful, but that's the main thing that I really, really love about this um, flat iron. And of course it has all the auto shut off, temperature controls, all of that. So anyway, that's all of that new stuff that I got. Okay, 
just a few more things. Um, decorating and uh, actually that's it. So let's let's finish this off with a, a little bit of uh, decorating talk. So um, Costco has had these drapery panels. They just brought them out like maybe beginning February and I saw them and they had them hanging up from the ceiling and on a big display and then I was like, oh no. I'm not a huge fan of grommet drapery panels, but I do see how they can be useful in certain applications and uh, if you have modern style. They're very modern. They don't have a lot of fullness to them. Um, and here's the other thing. Most of the times when you see grommet panels, they're always <laughs> they're always not installed correctly. And um, it just kind of like is a pet peeve, I guess you could say of mine. So, and that's to no fault of the purchaser. Um, I think they really should like explain this on the packages of the drapery panels um, because they just assume that people know how to install these things and we don't. So um, the grommet panels, let's say that I saw at Costco, have big like two, two inch, two and a quarter inch round grommets in them. And so they're big and uh, you can see through them and when most people will just install them right in front of the window casing and then you can see, you know, the top of the wood peeking out above the rod. You can see through the grommets to the window casing and it just looks really awkward. So if you like grommet panels and really these are actually a good, um, a good uh, drapery product to put up, let's say, like in kids' rooms or casual rooms, um, because they are more casual uh, and they're easy and you don't have to fuss with uh, rings and clips. So I think that's why it's kind of popular because it's very simple. So if you do these couple things, then you will have great looking drapery panels. So you want to install them First of all, install them on a smooth rod. It could be a metal rod or a wood rod, but it's got to be smooth. No like um, fluted rods or twisted rods, just a straight smooth rod. And uh, if they are not going to be just stationary, which means they're not going to be moved open and closed all the time, then that's you don't have to do anything else. But if you are planning to like open and close every day, uh, you might want to get a silicone spray. And I think you can get that at any hardware store, but it's a silicone spray. You spray the top of the rod with it and those grommets will, will glide so easily. And then they, you will have a less chance of them scraping off the finish of the rods. Any drapery that you install on rods, whether it's rings, decorative rings or the grommets, um, the movement when you open and close them uh, will most likely scrape off the finish if it's not protected. So silicone spray is the trick. So the other thing is you want to mount the drapery rod 
well above the window frame. So minimum of four inches because the rod itself is going to be about an inch and three quarters diameter or larger. And the grommets are bigger than that diameter. So you've got to be able to clear those openings and gaps. So mount it about four inches above the window. That way the drapery fabric will come down over the window and cover up all of the, you know, um, frame of the window uh, very nicely. All right, and one more thing about the drapery hardware. So uh, installing drapery panels, you have a rod and you will have at least a pair of brackets to put up. If your window is wider than four feet, wider than 48 inches, you will also need a center support bracket, which is installed at the center of the rod. So grommets um, then can get in, the brackets can get in the way of the grommets. So the placement of those brackets is important. And uh, so you, so you don't want to put the brackets too far in because then the, the drapery panels are going to stop before the end of the window. So make sure your brackets are installed um, outside of the window frame and um, so that and just kind of like test it out. Put the grommet panels onto the rod and um, if you have a helper, have them, you know, um, hold a bracket up and you can put the rod onto the bracket by the window and just see if everything is going to work okay. If the panels are going to cover the um, entirety of the window frame. And uh, yeah, and if there's a center support bracket, if your window is wide, that's the other thing. When you close those drapery panels, they will not close all the way because the center bracket will be in the way. So just know that. It's not a, a terrible thing, but you just have to be aware um, of the things that couldn't get away with these grommets. So, you know, you see, that's why, I mean, that'll happen with regular rings too. The center support bracket, the rings will kind of get in the way of those. Um, but uh the, the grommets are like part of the drapery panel. So rings can be moved around onto the drapery panel top and be a little bit more flexible. Okay. And the other thing is buy the panels long. So have in mind that, you know, even though let's say the top of the window to the floor might be 84 inches or let's say you you know, it's 82 inches and you think, oh, I can get by with the 84 inch long panel. No, no, you can't. Uh, buy the 96 inch long panels because if you have, let's say your window is 84 inches above the floor, then you have to mount it at least four inches above that. Now you're at 88 inches and uh, you may even be more than that. So then you're thinking, well, then it's going to drag on the floor. But, you know, it doesn't it doesn't take that much to just hem the bottom of the panels. And if you hem the bottom of the panels custom to the length 
of where you install that drapery rod down to the floor, you're going to have super custom magazine looking drapery panels. It is worth it. It's just those little tiny things that really makes the difference um, between, you know, ready-made sort of you know, doesn't look quite right because either they're too short, the drapery panels, or they're too long, or the grommets are like over the top of the window frame looking really awkward. So those are my tips for working with grommet drapery panels. So now here's another thing. I looked at the drapery panels at Costco, the grommet ones, and those, those panels are all solid neutral colored fabrics, which is fine. They only had the one length. They only had the 84 inch long and I couldn't believe it because most of the time people are in that 88 inch range to 96, 92 uh, for the length. And what you can do is just add a banding of fabric to the bottom of that drapery panel. So let's say you get the 84 inch panel and you install it, um, you know, four to six inches above the window frame, um, then you're short, maybe, maybe you're short um, four to six inches off the floor. Then just make a band, like sew, sew on a band of fabric, just like you would sew on a, um, a band, uh, what do you call it? A border on a quilt. So just sew a lower border on the bottom of the drapery panel and hem that. And it will look really pretty. It will look really beautiful. Uh, so definitely go with the longest drapery panel that you can. All right. So that will do it for today's podcast. I wish you happy sewing, happy quilting and crafting and making. Until next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Make and Decorate podcast. The podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Stephanie Socha. Until next time, have a great day. Bye.